we've been looking at God's Word as a church, kind of talking about perspective. If you remember, this series started with the picture behind me. A friend of mine took that picture. That When I look at that, I see a weed. When he looked at it, he saw something valuable. Uh, and, and he took that picture and someone offered to buy that picture from him, which, again, most of us, when we see that, we see a weed. Uh, we've talked about perspective through the lens of Scripture, how when we look at things in life, they change based upon the Word of God. We talked about limitations and how often our limitations, we view them as something to be avoided, but they may be something that God's using to bring opportunity in our lives. We talked about greatness. What does it mean to be great? Who doesn't want to be great? We all want to be great. What does the kingdom of God say about greatness? That greatness is found in serving, in service. We talked about forgiveness. The world doesn't necessarily understand forgiveness. God's understanding of forgiveness is way different. The prayer that we pray, Father, forgive us as we forgive others. The heart that we need to be forgiving. Forgiveness, it's unconditional. We, we have to do it. We talked last time, Megan shared last week, about the focus we have. And how sometimes we look at things based on where we're at. And so everything is so temporary in our focus. Everything that we see, the things, the way we react, it's all about what we can see, feel, and touch. But, but how we need to look through that and see eternally what's happening. God's eternal promises. This morning I, I just threw, um, the new thing is, is drones. And so... Uh, talk about perspective and what a what a perspective can change. Uh, these were like some of the top 2018 drone pictures. You know, I didn't know they do such a thing, but I guess they do. Uh, you know, the little drones, you fly them up. I mean, they're changing everything. Uh, and how this all changes. Can you imagine what this looks like if you're standing here in this parking lot versus seeing it from above? How sometimes we just... We just have to look at things a little bit differently. Go to the next slide. There you have a lava flow coming and, and, and just stopping. And, and I just don't think you catch that, that exact turn or whatever unless you see it from a different way. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, those are camels racing. I mean, there you go. Talk perspective. We're talking about horses. I'm from Kentucky. I'm used to horses racing, not camels. And, and the shadow and, and the way that it, it goes up there, perspective. The next one, uh, another, this is an urban setting, uh, the atmosphere, but they got the tennis courts in between these giant high-rise buildings. Go to the next one, perspective. It just takes a different angle sometimes to see things differently. But sometimes when we step back or we rise above or we look at it differently, and it, it just changes what we see. And we've been looking at things in Scripture and, and, and talking about just that promise that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but, but what is unseen. What we see, it's temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I just want to get my eyes, myself, me trained, that, that, I, that I'm looking at things through His eyes. I'm looking at things the way He sees them. Perspective. It changes so much. Perspective. This morning, I, uh, you know, what we're going to look at is, is the word value. The world is going to tell us all kinds of things about 
value. I mean, who doesn't want to feel valuable? Who doesn't want to feel like they're worth something? I mean, it's that whole value and worth and, and how the world is going to show us several ways that we find or that we measure value. And the Word is going to show us a different way from the way that the world shows us. And, and we can become consumed. I mean, young people and, and, and old people, whichever way you look at it, we get so worked up about, am I worth something? I mean, so much of life and so much of what we do, it's about being valued. It's about someone treasuring us. It's about someone seeing us as, as valuable or worthy. And, and we get drawn into different situations or circumstances. But I really believe at times we're finding the wrong source of our value. And that when we start looking at value through the lens of Scripture, that we can, we can change our perspective when we look in the mirror every day and see what God sees. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray for us this morning. I thank you for everyone in this place. I thank you for your word that is true. I thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. And I pray, God, that in, in all we do today, in all we accomplish, that ultimately the Spirit of God speaks to our hearts. I yield myself unto you, the words that come from me, the words that are already in my notes. I yield them to you, God, asking for your perfect will to be accomplished in this place. For each of our hearts and minds as we're here today, let us lean on you, let us hear from you, let us respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Value. The world's going to tell us there are sources of value, right? How do we define our value? How do most people in the world define their value? Finances, right? It's all about what we got. It's all about what we have. The, the, the primary source of value, I mean, you think of that, it's, it's how many zeros are on the left side of your decimal point, not negatives, on the right side of your decimal point. You know what I'm saying? Like we are defined by, by what we have, what we've accomplished. There's a word for this, it's called affluence. What we have, that's what defines us. That's what tells me how valuable I am. And so we've got people who buy things they can't afford. We've got people uh, driving cars that they, they can't afford or whatever else because they feel like they're promoting value that others are looking at. They're worried about what they're wearing and they're worried about whose name's in their collar. I don't see your collar. I don't care what name's on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but the world is going to tell you there's value in, in these, these things that you have. Whether it's the nicest or best or newest, whatever, the world will begin to define that as, as the value that they've placed upon you. I don't want to be limited to the value of what I have. What other things, there are three things that I see that the world, there's three that I chose, uh, that, that determine our value. The next one is who we know. I was at a retreat with ministers this, this winter, early in, earlier this year. And, and the speaker there, he was a great speaker, doing great things. But he made this request at the end that I thought sounded so weird. He said, guys, do me a favor. He said, I need you to follow me on Twitter and friend me on Facebook. And I'm like, dude, I don't need to follow you on Twitter and friend you on Facebook. I don't tweet, I don't know anything about Twitter, um, but whatever. But you know, he said, he went on to say that he wants, he's trying to write some books. And he said, right now, and this is Christian publishers, okay? He's trying to write books. 
And he said the first question a publisher will ask, well, how many friends you have or how many people are following you on Twitter? Like, it's not about what he wrote. I don't care if he wrote something cool, something novel, something new. All they care about is how much influence they have. Why? Because your followers will buy their books. So if you've got a lot of influence and they know that there's a lot of value, that's attached to you. We do that. I remember as a kid, we didn't sign, uh, we didn't have Facebook, we signed yearbooks. You know what I'm talking about? Boy, those popular kids, man, there was no room to write in their yearbook. <laughs> I had a couple people that maybe wrote in mine, but you know what I mean? Like, it's like, whatever. I mean, because it was all about who signs your book on Facebook. It's all about how many friends we have. People ask you to be friends. You don't know me. You don't want to be my friend. We think completely different. We act different. We talk different. We walk different. You haven't been concerned about me since the day you wouldn't sign my yearbook, but now you want to be my friend. And we click yes. Because we want to have a bigger number of friends. Because for whatever reason, we seem to find value in what we have. We seem to find value in who we know. I mean, all of a sudden, uh, Donald Trump sends me a friend request. I'm sitting, yes, and I'm highlighting that, and I'm putting it on the bar of my, my Facebook so everybody sees who my friend is. Right? The world's going to tell us value. What's the next one? The word I'm going to use, I realize I'm kind of skewing it a little bit, but we have to be, uh, you, we have to have words that sound similar when we preach. That's preaching 101. Effluence, effluence, whatever it is. It's what comes out. It's what flows out of us. Is really what that word means. It's what we do. What, what have we done? Have you guys ever talked to the guy? Um, excuse me for a second for all you spiritual people. I haven't always been a spiritual person. When I was a kid, we used to watch the show Married with Children. You know what I'm talking about? The, the old guy, the, 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 the Al Bundy guy. All he lived in was his glory days from when he played football. I mean, he's a fat guy that sits on the couch, can't move, but, but all he talks about is when he was in the high school football championship. Do you know people like that, that, that they accomplished something once in their life and that's all that they are? Like there was that one time I counted how many licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop and so I thought I'd accomplished something. I mean, my value, it's defined by what I've done. I mean, you'll never guess what I've done. And, and you see people, and, and they're so consumed by, by what they've done. Facebook, I mean, what have I done? I got up and brushed my teeth. I got up and combed my I don't care. But for some reason, people find value. They think people will find value in what they've, they've done. It's, it's, it's not about what you have. Why? What does the Scripture tell us? About, about what we have. James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. We must not show it. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith 
and inherit the kingdom he promised to those he loves or who love him. I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to talk about these. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. There's something about the value in what we have. Some are consumed with what I can store. Some are consumed with what others have. We find value because someone who's wealthy comes in, and so we let them sit in a special place or whatever. Scripture is very clear. It's not about what you have. You're no more important because you have than you are because you don't have. The measure of your value to whatever setting you're in, it's not about what you have or what you don't have. Is that pretty clear from those verses? So if, if my value isn't found in what I have, is it found in who I know? My, my influence. We read this verse a couple weeks ago. This is Paul writing. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we, uh, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. That sounds like the person I'm going to friend on Facebook. That sounds like the guy with all the friends, Right? I mean, the the scum of the earth is always the one that has 8,000 friends on Facebook. No, I mean, that's not what defines things when when it comes to influence. Paul is saying the world hates us. What? But if you're great, won't people like you? If you're valuable, won't people treasure you? If you're, if you're, if you're this great, uh, treasure, won't people seek you out? Paul talks and he says, they, they rejected us, they persecuted us, they treated us brutally. We have nowhere to live. We've become literally the scum of the earth. I talk about scum. I mean, I mean, I value that. I, I seek scum. Right? I mean, you see treasure hunt shows about finding the scum of the earth, right? People spending millions of dollars to find the scum of the earth. No. That's not something that that people value. If the world hates you, it says in John 16, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. If you're measuring your value in your influence, you're going to be disappointed. If the value in your life is defined by the number of people who like you, guess what the scripture says? The world will hate you. I don't have a lot of friends who hate me, I don't think. I don't have a lot of influence with people who hate me either, right? So if my value has been defined by my influence, I'm finding my value in the wrong place. So if it's not about what we have, our affluence, if it's not about who we know, our influence, then is it about what we've done? Like, how effective I've been, our affluence? What comes out? Paul also wrote in Philippians, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake 
I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Now we're going from scum to garbage. What does he consider garbage? If you look up in that that chapter just a little bit before, he talks about what he's done. He talks about who he is, the things that he's accomplished. The confidence that he could place in himself. He was circumcised. He's from the right tribe. He, he, he's a Hebrew. In regards to the law, he's a Pharisee, a zeal, uh, persecuted the church. I mean, he's done all these things. He listed his accomplishments. Think of Paul. I mean, what did Paul do? Did like talk, took the church everywhere. I mean, and he said, what? What I've done, it's real valuable, right? My value comes from what I've done. No, he says, what? I consider that all garbage. I'll give you 10 bucks for your garbage. Who's going to take me up on that deal? Right? I mean, our garbage isn't valuable. Trevor's the only one that's smart in this room. He's the only one that raised his hands. I don't know what I'm getting myself into there. (laughs) There's not value in that. Paul said, what I've done, it's garbage. It's not where I find my value. Matthew chapter 7 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at the things that I've done. Look at what's flown from, flow, flowed from me. Look at what's come out of me. Did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not drive out demons in your name? Did I not perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. Listen, your value isn't in what you have. Your value isn't in who you know. And your value is not in what you have done. Then, where's my value? How do I know my my worth? Where do I find my value. Well, I think we're going to have to have a little bit of a of a mind shift, a little bit of a perspective change. So to do this, I found some some just scribbles, sketches. I mean, these things. There's three. I'm going to go ahead and go through all three. Don't go to the fourth one. There's not much that I don't think we can accomplish, Roy. I think if I give you a pen, you can recreate that. These were just sketches on a piece of paper. Okay? What if I told you those sketches were worth thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars? Those stinking sketches, one line that doesn't stop, worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why? Simply because, go to the next slide, the name that was on them. You and I, we can draw a stinking wiener dog. We can draw a penguin and we can draw a rough camel. And I can tell you, no one's going to buy it. But because a sketch, a piece of paper, had, had Picasso's name written at the bottom, suddenly something that seemed worthless had extreme, extraordinary value. I read about it, I'm like, why? Some blog talking about Picasso's sketches. That's what pastors do when we prepare for sermons. We read blogs about Picasso's sketches. Flat out said, the sketches were valuable because the artist's hand 
touch this paper. Let me talk about a perspective change. It's not about how great that penguin is. It's not about what things that dog has accomplished. It's not about who that camel knew. The value was from the hand of the one who created it. Where is your value? How much are you worth? Let me tell you, it's not about what you have. It's not about who you know. It's not about what you've done. It's about the one who has touched you. Your value is not determined by the world that's around you. It's determined by the one who created you. And we argue with God. We argue with ourselves. We say, I'm not worth it. We say, I'm not worthy. We say, I'm not valuable. We say, I'm I'm meaningless. That's a lie. Because His name is written on you. How do I know that? Well, let's look at the Word of God. We are, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, His workmanship. His own... This is the Amplified. Look at this. You are His workmanship. It says in parentheses, His own masterwork. Who is His? God's. You're His work of art. If a work of art created by man can be worth millions, how much is a work of art created by the Almighty worth? Created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and and ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking the paths which He set, so that we would walk in them, living in the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us. Psalm chapter 139, it says, You... For you created in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That's what the psalmist said. But do you know that full well this morning? When you looked in the mirror today to brush your hair or brush your teeth, did you see the work of the Almighty? Did you say, I know full and well you created something wonderful when you made me? This isn't just lovey, fluffy stuff. This is the Word of God. This is the truth. Keep going. Can you go to the next slide, Irene? Technology is not cooperating. You, yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God, saying, Shall what is formed save to the one who formed it? Why did you make me, 
like this. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special and some pottery for common uses? You know what? When Picasso drew that dog, I don't think he envisioned it was going to be sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. He was just playing around, drawing some things on a piece of paper, maybe in a notebook. The the value wasn't determined by what it was going to be used for. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, man, I'm not doing anything and I'm not being used. And and, and all of a sudden we start to say our value, who we are, it's been determined by what we do. No, that's not the truth. That's not his word. God formed you. You are his masterpiece. Your value is not defined by all that other stuff. It's defined by His name that's been written in your life. It's defined by the promise that God has touched you. Here's a story. This is a poem from the 1920s. It was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I, what am I uh, to get for this old violin? You start the bidding for me. A dollar, a dollar, who make it two? Two dollars, who make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the back of the room, a gray-haired man came forward. He picked up the bow. He wiped away the dust from the old violin. He tightened up the strings and he played a melody pure and sweet. As sweet as the angels sing. The music ceased and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, What am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, who'll make it two? Two thousand, who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going, going, gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them said, We don't quite understand what changed its worth came the reply, the touch of a master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he shuffles along. He's going once, he's going twice, and he's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the thoughtless crowd never quite understands the worth of a soul. And the change that's wrought by the touch of the Master's hand. Scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was still struggling, while I wasn't perfect, when it wasn't about who I knew or what I was or what I had, while I was still a sinner, Christ did what? He he showed His love that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. That's how valuable He sees you. That's how much He sees your worth. Listen, it's not about what you've done or who you know or or what you have. It's about His love that He wants you to receive in your life. You may feel like a mess, a lump of clay, an old, dirty violin. You may feel like you're meaningless, you're out of tune, and when anyone comes near you, you just scream and people want to be away. But I want to tell you there's value in who you are. I want to tell you that your perspective needs to change when it comes to the value that's in your life. Your value comes because of the touch of the Master's hand. You guys can come forward.
Second Corinthians chapter three, it says, you show you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stones, but on tablets of human hearts. His name is written on your life. When the world tells you you're not worth it, when you argue with yourself about your worth, when you wrestle with the world not liking you, when you wrestle with the influence that you don't have or the people that you you don't know, when you wrestle with the thoughts of what others have and what you do not have and you think you're not worth it because you don't have all these things or you don't know all these people or you haven't done the things that others have accomplished, let me tell you, that's the enemy trying to define your value by this world. But I will tell you, the value has not been determined by this world. My value, who I am, the worth in my life, it's defined by the touch of my master's hands that I can hear, well done, that he won't say, depart from me, I never knew you. He can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I knew you. I used you. I played a song on your life. I made a pot that served Thousands. Yeah, you felt like a lump of worthless clay. I mean, that was a piece of paper and a stupid pen. But the touch of a master's hand is what made it so valuable. Got all across this room. I take captive those arguments. I take captive those lies. I pray for our eyes. I pray for mind shifts, for heart shifts. God, if we've been going through this defined by the stuff, the people, the things, God, I pray that we, we see ourselves in Your eyes. Father, if there's anyone this morning that says, I just feel worthless. Old and dusty, worn down, used, formless, just a lump. I pray for the touch of the Master's hand. I pray for the autograph of the Almighty. Yeah, God, there might be some change, there might be some clean, there might be some tuning, there might be some shifting, there might be even some forming that happens in us, but I pray the touch of the Master's hand. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. You would let us see ourselves the way that you, you see us. Our proclamation no longer broken, but that we're masterpiece, we're works of art 
by the Almighty. We're priceless treasures in the King's hands. This morning as we as we wrap up this time, I just would open the altars. If you say, Pastor, I, I, I just need to touch. I, I've been struggling. I, I've been looking for worth. I've been trying to find value or whatever else. But I, I just need the touch of the Master's hands. I want to pray with you today and believe that God will touch your life. If you say, if, if maybe you need to, to go to someone else in the sanctuary this morning and, and ask them, hey, will you pray for me today? I just need the touch of the Master's hand because I believe that through that touch comes our value. The altars are open. This time is, is yours. And respond to the... This morning, I want you to look at someone who's not your spouse because it's too easy to say to them. Tell them, I'm a masterpiece. Just tell someone you're a masterpiece. And say it without laughing. It's not a joke. And go laugh at the person next to you when they tell you. I'm a masterpiece. I am valuable. I've got the name of the King of Kings written on my life. I'm worth more than you'll ever know. Amen? Well, Lord, bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you believe how valuable you are. And be deceived no more. Amen? Be blessed.